We welcome you back to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor. And joining us in studio this morning. The Spirit Catholic Radio, Scola Cantorum. That's right. I just love that. Well, it's Father Mark Sizzes here with That's us. That's right. <laughs> with the Spirit Catholic Radio Scola. That's right. We weren't really introducing the <laughs> Scola here. <but laughs> Father, of course, uh, the assistant pastor at St. Mary's in Nebraska City and uh, also uh, is now a celebrity teacher at Lourdes Central. Yes, I saw my picture in the Southern Nebraska Register this weekend. So I've been telling all my kids that I'm a, they're being taught by a, a famous radio personality now. So <laughs> they're all getting a kick out of that. I'm loving Tuesdays. It's just wonderful. And it is so great to have you here to talk to us about the Blessed Virgin Mary, in particular this month. Because this is the very merry month of May, and I'm talking M-A-R-Y, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, so much to reflect on, but I... I'm still bouncing off the good news about the tower and the and the fact that our bishops have united to declare Pentecost the great um, well not only is it the great feast of our you know the birth, birth of, the church, of the church but it's also the launching and celebrating Spirit Catholic Radio. Uh, Pentecost is always really special for me because that was the weekend that I was ordained and so I got to celebrate my first mass. Uh, of Thanksgiving on Pentecost Sunday, so wow. I, I always look forward to that celebration. So it's going to be even more special this year with with all the other things that are going on. It is, and really, of all the novenas that we've done, we've really started to really focus in on those great private devotions that really lift us and draw us closer to to God and the, and His great witnesses, the saints. But um, the novena that we're going to begin on Ascension Thursday is really. The novena of novenas, isn't it? Isn't that? The, I, and we want you to participate in that, folks. So be sure to stay tuned and go to the internet and do what you got to do on this great novena that we we will begin to the Holy Spirit beginning on Ascension Thursday. And novenas are wonderful, but this is the the granddaddy of them all, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And I think you just really see the fruit of prayer, you know, just with this whole this whole operation here, you know, just how much it, it really um, it's dependent upon prayer, but then just the fruitfulness of the prayer that, that has come from it. You know, sometimes when things just, I know like last week, <laughs> things were, they're like, they, they weren't looking quite as good, you know, but, but then just the way things begin to unfold, you know, and you begin to really see the grace of God and how he's working and you begin to see his divine plan and all of it and really how he's in charge, you know, and then as it's, as it's guided by the spirit, it, it's really, it's really beautiful to be a part of all of that. Mm, we just need to, as we say, pray and get out of the way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a very well, good plan of action. And there are sometimes, you know, of course, God knows what he needs to do and he wants uh, to be able to, I mean, he can do whatever. Do, does he need our prayers? You know, sometimes I wonder, but then I remember as a parent, there are gifts that I want to give my kids. I know that they want this. They've talked about this. And then Christmas comes along or birthday, and I'm waiting for them to ask for it. Do they still want it? Do they still desire this in the depths of their heart Do I to, to make this happen? And then they ask. And then, of course. You know, you, as a parent, you, you kind of, you're waiting for them. Do you want to see if this is something they still hold sacred, special, dear desire in their hearts? And uh, I think, in a way, that's how our Lord uh, works with prayer, don't you think, Father? Mm-hmm. And because it helps us to recognize our dependent, our complete dependence upon Him, mm-hmm. you know, for everything that 
that we have that we don't we don't presume upon anything but 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 all good things come from god and so when we can ask him for those those good things that 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 we need you know it's really it, it really shows the what we need in prayer you know and what the fruitfulness of our prayer mm-hmm. and who better to teach us? I mean, the, the great model of prayer is the Blessed Virgin Mary, and her relationship with the Holy Spirit is so extraordinary. One of the, we, we've been taking, like last week, we talked about Mary, Mother of the God, the, the four big dogmas of the Church on Mary. And today we're going to be talking about the perpetual virginity of Mary, which in today's culture, people just can't wrap their brain around because I think at the heart of it, we don't have a sense of what chastity is. Exactly. When we, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about that this morning. We live in such a, a permissive society and really how virginity is really, especially among young people, it's almost seen as like a disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you want to get rid of it as soon as possible because, you know, it, it's something that it, there's something wrong with you. Um, if you're a virgin and and but what God really shows us through this is that virginity is a sign of faithfulness it's it, and it's a sign meant to be a sign of total self-giving and so Mary being a, a ever virgin is a sign of her complete self-giving to God and that's that's really what this this um, this dogma of the church it really highlights that and it highlights her own faithfulness then to the word of God but then what it also teaches us then is how we are called to be respond to God, how in purity of love, how in faithfulness, and how uh, in total self-giving, how we are called then to respond to God as Mary did. She becomes that model for us in, in, in our spiritual lives. And as we said last time, that Marian dogma ultimately teaches us more about Jesus or about ourselves, about our own natures, than it does Mary, in a way. And just as a, another, uh, just kind of a side note on this particular issue, someone who always gets, uh, the, he does not get the credit he's due is St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. Because so often they think, well, of course she couldn't have had, had perpetual virginity because she was married to Joseph and he's going to uh, have uh, his needs as a, as a husband. Of course, he would not have accepted that. And yet, Again, we don't understand what it is to be chaste and to uh, have the respect and the awesome reverence for the actions of God that that is so much more important than anything I could desire. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we call him the most chaste spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Right. And that's, you know, and that was a special grace that was given to him as well, you know, because whenever God asks something of us, you know, he always gives us the grace then to be able to do it. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that, again, we believe about St. Joseph, that, you know, he was given care of the Blessed Virgin, care of the Holy Family to protect and to provide for them. And so he would never presume anything upon that, you know, and and that's really one of the reasons that we really honor him is just because he had such a special, um, a special role in our salvation and in and a special place in, in the Holy Family and such a closeness to our Blessed Virgin Mother and, and to our Lord. And good morning. Welcome back to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor. And joining us in studio, we have Father Mark Sizzo with us today in the Merry, Merry month of May. It's M A R Y, of course. I love her. Some people are Jesus freaks, and I am, but I'm also Mary freak. I love her. <laughs> Mary's your homegirl. I do, absolutely. <laughs> I love her. What I think this? someone's supposed to sing. It's a Regina Chaley. Oh, nice introduction. Okay. Nice introduction. Yeah. So. Regina Chaley, Regina Chaley, 
of the Regina Taylor, isn't it? It is. It is. Alleluia, alleluia. Maybe we should just play Marion hymns the rest of the yeah. segment. People yeah. would probably get more out of that than listen to me talk. Oh, no, Father. <laughs> well, Father Mark Siz is joining us today, and uh, we're talking about a dogma of the church on the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Mother Mary. And, uh, Father, maybe as we get into this segment, let's explain a little bit how this came about, how this dogma came about, and, and what the scene was like that kind of set this up. Again, it, it's something that... Whenever you look at these dogmas, they're always rooted in the Catholic tradition. They're, I mean, there's something, they're not just like new developments or, some, or, or new teachings, but, but it's something that's rooted both in sacred scripture, but then also in our sacred tradition. And I think that's one of the important things that we have to have is that tradition that helps give interpretation to sacred scripture. Because you can really, I mean, you can have two different people and they, they read the same passage in sacred scripture and they can have a completely different understanding. Mm-hmm. And so how do you know, is, is this the way that Jesus wants us to interpret the sacred scripture? You know, is every, you know, people say, well, I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, what if you have two people that are claiming to be inspired by the Holy Spirit in interpreting sacred scripture and they have completely contradictory mm-hmm. <laughs> things that they're mm-hmm. saying? I'll tell you, well, this means this or this means this. <clears throat> and you... Well, one of them can be right and the other one wrong, or the other one right and the other one wrong, or they can both be wrong, but they both can be right. You know, that just violates a principle of reason. And so what we believe as Catholics is that we need that that tradition to help us to be able to understand and interpret sacred scripture. And this perpetual virginity of Mary is something that goes back to the beginning of the church. If you look in the writings of the church fathers, it's, it's all in there. And so even starting with <clears throat> some of the early councils of the church, uh, the Council of Nicaea, when we pray in the creed, um, he was conceived of uh, uh, Mary ever virgin. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's something that was already there in the in the understanding of the uh, of the early church. Um, the going on into um, there was a, a Council of Ephesus in, in 434 when the next councils after that, you know, again, it's being reaffirmed at that council that Mary is ever virgin. Um, later, uh, Pope Leo the Great wrote a letter to Flavian, and this was accepted. I think it was at the Council of Constantinople in, in 361, affirmed again. This perpetual virginity of Mary is again uh, affirmed at, at Trent in 1555, Vatican II, um, in, in, during the 1960s. And so so it's something that that has been a part of our tradition for a long, long time. It's a little bit different than, say, the uh, Immaculate Conception that was given like a definition by the by Pope um, um by the Pope in the in the in the 1850s, or the Assumption um, by um, Pope Pope Pius XII in the in the 1950s, mm-hmm. but uh, but it is something that is a part of our of our tradition, and it's something that goes again all the way back. Yeah. This, as you said, goes back to a teaching from the the early Church Fathers, the, those early Christians. Let's not forget, folks, when you think, "Oh, that possibly could that could never have happened." A man should not have raised, been raised from the dead either. They preached and died for a Christ crucified who was resurrected and who they experienced. Who, you know, for many of them, they saw the miracles and then they experienced the miraculous afterwards. To, to, to somehow say that she could not have remained a virgin, uh, could a man be raised from the dead? Do you know, of course, they, they totally understood, accepted it was, it was, uh, something that uh, that was so normative in their experience that even today, for all of us Christians out there, and I would really challenge, but in particular our Protestant brothers and sisters and Catholics 
who maybe didn't have the type of catechesis, the relationship of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as maybe they they should have, but they still can. The thing is, if you you believe in a resurrected Jesus, that is the reason for Easter. If that, if you can believe that. Why would this be so hard? Yeah. Why is mm-hmm. anything else miraculous? There's, yeah. there's exactly. A, there's a neat story about. Um, uh, I think it's it's Saint Jerome. There was a there was a, a heretic that was going around saying that Mary wasn't a virgin, you know, after the birth of Christ. And so what uh, Saint uh, Saint Jerome he wrote a, a treatise uh, against this guy. And what he what he said he says some people can't rem- be remembered for doing something good, so they do something evil to be remembered by. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. but but like you again, you look at the church fathers. I mean, this is just something that was was presumed. I mean, I mean, you find a few instances of of people writing against it in the early church. But it really doesn't become a major issue until until the 1500s, you know. And so this is again, it's not, it's not something. I mean, it was just accepted pretty much by all of Christianity right. until that point. It, it wasn't. It really wasn't a problem of belief for anybody. For many Christians, um, and I'm talking about those who maybe are outside of the uh, full union with the Catholic Church and our Protestant brothers and sisters. I mean, they they completely uh, can. Uh, believe that she was a virgin and the Holy Spirit became upon her because of the prophecy of Isaiah. But then it's afterwards in the giving mm-hmm. of the birth that they just, no, not possible. Mm-hmm. Again, if you can believe in all the other miraculous things that happen, why not this? But th- that's where they sometimes get hung up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and if you read the Church Fathers, they're pretty... Um, they're pretty specific about, you know, the birth, uh, Mary being a virgin during the birth of Christ, you know, and they talk about the physical sign of her virginity remaining intact. And um, and even again in our own time, the the Second Vatican Council it, it reaffirms that you know that that the um, that her virginity remained that the let's see how did they put it it's that the giving the uh, to, to the birth of Jesus Christ did not um, uh, dissolve her virginity but rather it sanctified it so there was something miraculous about the birth of Christ that that it enabled it to come about in that way. So the birth during Christ, again, something miraculous, but then even after Christ, you know, sometimes people will ask about, well, what about in sacred, they'll point to sacred scripture and they'll say, you know, what about the brothers and sisters of, that are listed in, in sacred scripture? And the way that we've uh, always understood this, and this, again, is something coming from St. Jerome, is he talks about how in in the Hebrew terms, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew and Aramaic language, there is no word for like, cousin or anything like that. It's just anybody that is a close relative is considered a brother or sister. And you see that as it's listed in the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, and there is a word for cousin. I think it's like inepsios or something like that. But if you think about who the writers of the New Testament were, they were going to be writing in a style, you know, because they were, most of them spoke, you know, Hebrew and Aramaic first. Mm-hmm. They'd be writing in a, in a style that people. So when when they heard, and then the people of the New Testament heard brothers and sisters, they weren't they weren't thinking, you know, actual blood relation, but they were just thinking of a close rela- relative of Jesus. Okay, and so that's I mean that's the way again that we understand it. But getting back to if you don't have the tradition, and you don't have the tradition to help you have that understanding, then it can you could very easily not have that understanding. And so that's why it's important for us as Catholics really to have that sacred tradition to help us to be able to understand the true meaning of sacred scripture because it's very easy to get get off track. Yeah, and I mean, right down the line, I mean, you know, today we refer to, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ and, mm-hmm. uh, and that is a, a term that's oft repeated throughout the scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Also, don't forget that one of the reasons why we suffer the pains of childbirth is because of the fall and because it's of an our, effect of our original mm-hmm. sin. And exactly. Mary being conceived immaculately wouldn't have suffered from that. That's right. And why not? I mean, this is why would God, who is in the tomb or in the womb of this, uh, that the the new Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Holy of Holies, why would His birth have to be one of that type of? Um, nature when it it could very well have been the way that it was destined to be for mankind before that occurrence. Exactly. And one of the beautiful things that the church fathers also talk about is that that it's during the at the, Mary at the foot of the cross when she's giving birth to the church, you know, is that that's when she uh, ha- experiences those those pangs of birth, you know, that mm-hmm. it's later on when when she's intimately involved in the spiritual regeneration of all of us, when she's interceding for us uh, to um, with, in union with Jesus Christ, when she's offering that, that sacrifice of her son on the cross, you know, of watching him die there, that's when um, she experiences those pains of, of birth as a mother for, for all of us. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I just have to go back to this. If you can believe that a man was raised from the dead, <laughs> that God was raised from the dead, Yeah. And uh, that's the reason. St. Paul said, if you can't believe in the resurrection, then what's the point? Exactly. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you can believe in that, then why not this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why could this not have occurred? Yeah, well, it's one of those things, you know, that when you hear the term and, and the way that it's put is virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Don't allow your mortal mind to determine what exactly that means. Exactly. Yeah. And there, another uh, point in sacred scripture that people always uh, point to is in the Gospel of Matthew. And where it says that um, he did not, uh, Joseph did not have relations with Mary until, you know, the birth of Christ. And what that's just pointing to is that the miraculous nature of the birth of Christ right. or and of the conception of Christ, that, that God is the only father, that there is no, um, there is no human father that, that is involved in the generation of, uh, of, of Jesus Christ, uh, of, of, his, of his humanity. And so it's pointing that, you know, God is the, he is the only begotten son both in eternity and in time of, of the Son. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we look at that word until, uh, again, it's just, it, it's not saying anything that's happening afterwards, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's only saying up until that point. You know, like say, for example, uh, say somebody gets injured and you, and they, you know, you call the paramedics and say, well, don't move them until I get there. <laughs> you know, it's not saying that, you know, all of a sudden when they get there, they're going to start moving them. It's just saying up until that point. And, mm-hmm. and this is the sense of the Greek word when you understand that it, it's not implying anything. In English, it, until usually applies something that's coming after. But in the Greek, there, there is not that implication of, of, of something coming afterwards. Oh, okay. It's just up until that point. The, that's what it's highlighting is the, the miraculous nature of, of the virginal conception of, of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And also, it, once again, it just points to our today, our culture today, that it would be well. Of course, they have relationships. How could they have had not had a marriage? But it, it, we were talking during the break that you know Bruce and I have been married for twenty five years, and there gets to be a point in a marriage where it's. When you have a child, when you have the mission of establishing the family, it gets to a point where, you know, the, the greatest act of love, it's not, it's not necessarily that, uh, that t- coming together in the marital act, but it's more, you know, uh, 
we rub my feet they're aching and they mm-hmm. you know or if it's making the dinner and how about eggs brunch. benedict this morning <laughs> yeah right? that was delicious <laughs> i mean there are so many other or just sitting with one another or holding somebody when they're crying i mean there are greater acts of love in that relationship what's well, a fullness of love exactly yeah. i mean you, you get to a point where but in today's culture, you think that the only way I can love somebody is if I have this this interaction um, sexually, and that is such a it's, it's a real lie because that's not that's not the type of love that ultimately we're called to. And they did, you know, our tradition reaffirms that they did have a true marriage. Mm-hmm. You know that they did they did give themselves completely to that, but it was they re- did remain continent within that marriage, and um, but it was something because. But they did, it, it was spiritually fruitful. You know, that, that's one of the things that, that marriage is called to be. You know, sometimes, you know, couples can't have, you know, children just by, because of, you know, some, some impediment or whatever. But that doesn't mean that that couple is not then called to be fruitful, though. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, a, that's a natural, that's the part of the way that God designed marriage is to be fruitful. And so there was a real fruitfulness of that love between Mary and Joseph, that it was a real marriage. But again, it was because of the nature of the incarnation. It was they were called to live out their marriage vocation in, in a little bit different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, for crying out loud, folks, the raising this great miracle. I mean, yeah, right? exactly. I mean, here they, look at everything they've experienced together. I mean, the holy family. I mean, goodness, it, well, what they were a family? Exactly, they yeah. were all those things. But I mean, wow, what a relationship and, the, and events that they shared and the things that they. That they they had together. I mean, how spectacular, yeah. you know. The, I mean, their existence. I mean, no wonder we have a shrine, the Holy Family shrine, because yeah. the Holy Family is uh, just tremendous. Yeah, and it, it just it really shows how each one of us then is called to love within the family relationship, you know, and, and how we are called to be, be that gift of ourselves, that gift of love to one another. And so when we can look at each of the members of how they had to sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, how Joseph, you know, not presuming anything, you know, he, he really had to lay down his life, you know, I mean, Angel says, you know, get up, take the, take the kid and the wife and, yeah, <laughs> and go, and go. Yeah. you know, and he just, he just does it, you know, in, you know, always in obedience to God's word, Mary, you know, always obedient to God may be done unto me according to thy word. And they show us what true family life is meant to be like, just really the beauty of, you know, and, and it wasn't easy for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they, you know, they had difficulties, they had struggles, they were poor, but, but yet they showed us really the beauty of, of, of what God has called to give what God wants to give us through family life. Yeah. You know, God chose this woman to be the mother of God, Cho- chose her. He why would it be far-fetched to think that he chose a righteous man, one who would be more than capable of caring and nurturing and, and be total self-giving? You don't think God was in charge of all that, that it's just some random act that was some do – do in bringing them together um, and in their relationship, did you not think that God knew that in Joseph's heart he was capable of giving totally of himself to his bride, to his wife? I mean – I just, it, it says a lot about the cynicism of our times mm-hmm. when we can't even entertain or begin to embrace that notion. Exactly, because there there is such a view out there that, you know, it, especially when you talk to people about chastity, 
you know, well, well, nobody can live like that. You know, it's just not, it's just not possible. You know, there, there's real, it's almost a despair when it, when it comes to living a, a, a chaste life that, that mm -hmm. it's just not possible, but it, but it really and truly is, you know, and that's one of the things that, that they, they also teach us because, you know, at times, even within the marriage relationship, you know, there, there are times where, where a couple may, may have to be, be chased, you know, maybe there's an illness or maybe there's a sickness, you know, or, you know, what do you, what do you do at that point? And, you know, we look to the Holy Family and say, hey, this is something possible. You know, you don't, it, it's still possible to give yourself completely in love, even, even without that ability to express it in, in, in that mm -hmm. way. Well, and really, Father, our priests do that. Mm -hmm. And that's, and religious too. And religious, yeah, exactly. Yes. And yeah. that, you know, uh, priestly celibacy or, or uh, the vow of chastity that religious take, it's, it's not meant to be merely a giving up of something, but, but what it is, it's, it's, meant to be enable the the priest or the religious or the one that has taken that vow to be spiritually fruitful mm -hmm. you know to be able to give themselves completely you know as a priest you know stand in the person of christ that's where as a priest we are configured to jesus christ in a particular way so that we can act in relationship to the church as a spouse and that that celibacy is is you know, it's it's a giving up of, of something that is good for a higher motivation for for something that is you know that um, that that we are called to do in the spiritual life to be spiritually fruitful. And a, a good friend of mine, and he was uh, uh, giving a conference on uh, the theology of the body in his parish, and he was uh, talking about that. It was wasn't too long after he kind of finished up those talks nine month, ten months later a year later that there are all these people that had been in the class they started having babies it's <laughs> 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 like it's like you know in a certain sense those are those are my kids uh -huh. you know because it, and that shows like the spiritual fruitfulness uh, of his ministry that that he was able to explain the beauty of of marriage he was able to explain the, the beauty of the of, of the theology of the body and and people embrace that and they begin to live that out, and, you know, and if he hadn't done that, you know, they may not have been blessed with other children in their marriages. Mm -hmm. And so, so the, the, um, the grace of, of, of celibacy is really meant to, to enable the priest or the religious to be, to be spiritually fruitful and, and to, to, to bear fruit unto the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of a woman I know who is a consecrated virgin and you would not know her on the street. It's not a re it doesn't wear a religious habit. She's not a part of a religious order. But in that vow that she has made, that consecrated virginity, she is serving the church in such an extraordinary way that it the maternal nurturing nature that she has because of her femininity, because of her female, as what it is to be truly female, you would not believe the fruits of that in nurturing the church, in giving to others, totally directed that maternal nurture in her. She is giving in so many ways, and the, the fruits of it, it are, it's touching the world. And um, this particular person, I mean, nobody, again, you would not know her, walking the street, bumping into her at Baker's or anything like that, or just she's out and doing, but it's that gift that she gives of total self-giving to Christ, and through that, that maternal nurturing is touching the lives of of us all in the Universal Church. And, I, and I'm not going to embarrass her by giving her a name, but I mean, it, it just trust me, it's changing the world. It's changing the church and that's the heart of the church. And that's exactly what that that virginity is meant to be. That sign again, that sign of faithfulness, that sign of complete and total um, total self-giving. Um, 
And so it, it really is a, it, it really is such a beautiful um, teaching. And if you look to um, to Christian iconography, um, it, I mean, just going back in the history of the church, a lot of times you will see um, Mary portrayed with the, the three stars, one on each shoulder and the one on her on her forehead. Mm -hmm. And that's that's again, it's a sign of the belief in the perpetual virginity of Mary before, during, and after the birth of Christ. And they're they're normally speaking, they're they're an eight pointed star, you know, as a symbol that of the of the eighth day uh, of the of the new creation you know and that's and so i mean even in in christian art you see just a testimony to this you know the, this this belief that we have uh, in the perpetual virginity of mary mm -hmm. and it's again it because it really reflects that total gift of the female nature of the maternal nurture the receiver also mm -hmm. of grace yeah being able to accept completely and that's you know, for Mary, you know, the whole reason that she was conceived without sin was so that she could do that, so that she could say yes completely to God. Because what does sin say? Sin is a no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and all of us that are affected by, by original sin, we, we can't give a perfect yes to God. And so when she was conceived without sin, that enabled her to, to really consecrate and, and give herself um, completely to God. And one of the things that, uh, was, uh, uh, another thing I was going to bring up is, it's kind of random points here, is that in um, the tradition, one of the things that the fathers speculate on is that Mary had the intention before, um, before the Annunciation that she was going to remain a virgin forever. And so it gives us, a, when you understand that, when the angel Gabriel comes and Mary questions him, she's not questioning in doubt like Zechariah. You know, Zechariah, when he questioned, he's like, yeah, right. You know, have you seen my wife? Yeah. You know, she's yeah. like, she's like really old. And, but, uh, but, you know, so and because of his doubt, you know, he was unable to speak then, you know, for the time of, of her pregnancy. But Mary, when she questions, she's not questioning in doubt because what she's saying in essence to the angel is she's saying, you know, I've given myself I vowed my virginity to God. Is this something that is not pleasing? Does you know? Does He want me to change? You know, because I'm perfectly willing to. And she says, "I, I do not have a husband." And angel says, "No, no, no, no. Uh, God is pleased with your vow. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you shall conceive." And she's like, mm -hmm. "Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. May it be done unto me according to Thy word." And that's when the incarnation takes place. Then, and so, so even that, you know, when we have that understanding of sacred scripture that comes from our tradition. Then it helps us to understand just that again, as we were talking, that that total self-giving, and just really the beauty of, of virginity, and and the beauty of of that of that purity of her love, and again, and it calls us to to something higher, and it calls us to 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 have that 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 to to strive for that kind of self-giving, to strive for that kind of purity, to strive for that kind of holiness, because that's what will enable us to really conceive Jesus in our hearts as well. And again, when we talk about sacred tradition, it's such a gift to go back and actually read now the writings of the early church fathers and some of the mothers, you know, and I think of Perpetua and I think of uh, a, number of, a number of women that, like Mike Aquilina has pointed out in his books on the church fathers. Mm -hmm. But uh, to be able to go back and to see that this is, there's a connection going back even to those, the witness of those who even saw you know, like Clement and potentially Polycarp who knew John who was with Mary and all of them I mean they they write so beautifully of this this is a, a wonderful tradition that we have at to all of us 
and, for all of us. And you see in so many uh, people like uh, converts to the faith, like Scott Hahn or somebody like that, you know. Marcus Grodin. Yeah, yeah, when they started reading the tradition, they started realizing, yeah, hey, you know, I, I don't think a lot of problems uh, that we have with our separated brothers and sisters are, are theological problems. I think they're historical problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, if we could, you know, help teach people about our, our history, and, and if people just actually knew what the true history was and the history of belief and what the church has always believed, then then a lot of these um, um, positions that we that you see out there today these these aberrations they they would just dissolve I think yeah the 1500s yeah. they didn't have access most people most clergy did not have access to the writings of the church fathers uh, today you do and it's as close as the internet or a very good book or something that you trust but today there there is no reason why you can't go out and find it for yourselves yeah, they couldn't they couldn't even 100 years ago for most people they couldn't go into a library or they haven't been, they weren't translated mm-hmm. but now they have been and there's still more to come exactly mm-hmm. you know and they're they're still doing it today they're continue to find and find and god keeps providing us what we need to draw us closer to him absolutely Father Mark says, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Yep, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again next week.